welcome home. This is Audio EXP for the 9th of October 2021. And the title of this episode is Whiffs of Spelldrammer in the Air. Grim and Perilous Studios is in the spotlight this month, as voted for by patrons, and there's good news on the Grim and Perilous front. I reached out over Facebook and got a response, and now I have an email back from Adam Rose, the owner, to set up an interview. I'll respond tomorrow, no later, I promise. Tomorrow, by the way, is the 10th of October for me. This podcast is recorded the day it goes out. Usually, that is. Next week, I have a clash, and so it will change. Tomorrow is also World Mental Health Day, and the charity, Safe in Our World, looks after the mental health of people who work with computer games. If that's you, you're not alone, and they have a Discord where you can go, chat, and swap coping techniques with peers and get some help. So let's kick off this week with a purchase that I made that made me giddy with excitement. I know it's not supposed to be a purchase and not a retail experience, but I rushed to back Slay Industries 2nd Edition on Kickstarter. I love the first edition. You're an agent for Slay Industries, the mega corporation that owns the world and many others in Mort. It's always raining. You hunt and track serial killers, which are a common problem since so many people flip and lose it in the industrial nightmare the world's become. Your cases are filmed, broadcast and used to distract the masses. You have the best gear money can buy after all your company makes it and owns all the banks, but security levels, secrets and bosses are there to navigate. You will soon find layers of clever plots, should you wish to look around the senior staff of the company and the planet Mort. And Slay Industries 2 is every bit as good, but with a better system and more material. Given the comments I got, I sense Nightfall Games, the publishers, weren't entirely happy with my review. And I think there are two reasons for this. First, I began with the story of how I wanted to put the game in my top 10 releases for 2020 for my indie gaming group, but I couldn't as Nightfall wasn't rated indie enough. Now, I told that story to underline how highly I rated the game. Nightfall, I think, wanted to be considered indie. I think they also have a full-time member of staff and several names on the payroll, so I can see why some voices were asking, are they indie? It is a debate. And secondly, I expressed my frustration at how Slay 2 was put together. It goes back hundreds of years at the beginning of the book to tell a story that weaves together strands of flavour. It's all potential depth, but my concern was that for newbies, nobody would know why this mattered, especially since it was irrelevant to the game they wanted to play. I think my advice is hook me on the fundamental brilliance of the game first, and then give me the fan lore. Oh well, at least I tell it as I see it in Geek Native Reviews. Hopefully, Chaosium will have a more straightforward time with their own acquisition. They've bought a website called The Doll's House. Doll here is spelt with an H after the D. It's not a reference to the weird dog creature from real life, but the far creepier snake monster from Lovecraft Mythos. The Doll's House is a character sheet and prop generator for Call of Cthulhu, and Lee Carnell, the fan who created it, has joined Chaosium as a full-time developer for the publisher. It's an acquihire. Also, in the spirit of buying things, convention giant Reed Pop has launched a site called The Hall. It's a good idea on paper, but I think it'll be hard to make work. 
wanting to do more in digital, but being a company that brings sellers in, uh, together with buyers at conventions, Repop's The Hall is an online marketplace. You often get special deals at conventions, new releases, and lots of stands. The idea, I think, is that The Hall is an online version of that, a shop front for special convention or event deals. I imagine it'll be lots of work and fiddly, but I really hope it takes off. An example of the deals that we can't get online is the launch of Eternus. At Comic-Con New York this week, had we been, we might have been able to buy a copy of the comic book and have it signed. Otherwise, we'll have to wait until next year. Eternus is written, in part, by the actor and director Andy Serkis. Yeah, Andy Serkis from Lord of the Rings, Black Panther, and the director of Venom, Let There Be Carnage. It's set after Zeus has been murdered, Greek gods are fading, and Heracles is a drunk. And since it is big convention season, we've also got plenty of big trailers. I share some, and should share more, on the Geek Native Discord trailers channel, the one that made it to the blog, though, was House of the Dragon. This is the Game of Thrones prequel, and it has Matt Smith of Doctor Who as Prince Damon Tarragon. His character is the narrator of the dragon-filled trailer. I think it looks good, but I don't have easy access to the channels that will likely run on here in the UK, not since my breakup, and I'm not sure I'll buy yet another subscription to watch it. Time will tell. And picking channels and which subscriptions to have are minor fryer problems compared to running conventions or launching sites like Readpop does. An independent convention that is in the news for the wrong reasons again is GaryCon. Now, some severe allegations are flying around. It's like someone filled up a blunderbuss of grievances and let ripped. Uh, Luke Gygax has had to respond, and you can read all that, including the lengthy paperwork, on the blog. Links are in the usual place. And that's, you know, from the transcript in the show notes. And this is me not getting into the details. If it's an ongoing case, no one should. A more straight-up situation is what happened to Twitch. Someone else with the grievance posted 125 gig of source code and data to 4chan. Wow. Yes, this was a hack, so change your password. Sorry, you really should. But it's more than a hack. The Amazon-owned site had its inner workings revealed to all, the code itself. And in that data, we can see that Critical Role are the platform's most highly paid streamers. From Twitch alone, they made nearly $10 million, and that's a lot of money. Remember how I mentioned Nightfall Games, the Slay Industries publishers, wanted to be indie? Some Critical Role fans also had a moment where $10 million clashed with that indie pal vibe they wanted from Critical Role. I understand the mental somersaults. However, after a brief flare of protests, the community pretty much seemed to calm down. If you divide 10 million over several years, remove the cost of the studio, the behind the scenes team, and then divide equally by the cast, then that colossal figure starts to approach an annual salary. Of course, it doesn't include sponsorships or merch, but it was enough of a drop to take much of the heat out of the debate. And, of course, you don't have to like Critical Role, and you don't have to dislike Critical Role. No one should feel any pressure. Except me. I called this podcast with a spell jammer in the air, and we're only now into the d territory part of it, so there is some pressure to hurry up. Firstly, let's start with the surprising news of Minsk and Boo's Journal of Villainy. That's a Wizards of the Coast D&D book that appeared on the DM's Guild. 
it supports the Extra Life charity. Minsk and Boo are characters from the Baldur's Gate computer game series. Boo's a hamster, but he's still a character. The game was created by James Olin, and Olin is the author of that $15 supplement. And then it vanished from DM's Guild. Spoiler, it's back now. But for half a day, I thought a big fight had happened. You see, James Olin doesn't work for Bioware anymore. He left and created the D&D tabletop adventure Odyssey of the Dragon Lords. It was a big Kickstarter success. It was one of the first times a big name from computer games had left to join the D&D growth. And then, Wizards of the Coast hired him to work on one of their new computer game studios, saying it wasn't going to be a D&D project. Now, I don't think that stops him from working for a four charity and for Wizards of the Coast project like Minsking Boo's Journal of Villainy. However, within hours of that supplement coming out, Arcanium Worlds and Modifius launched a free download for Raiders of the Serpent Sea Player's Guide. And there's a Kickstarter for that complete 5e setting coming later. Arcanium Worlds are the same company that did Odyssey of the Dragon Lord. It's James Olin's group. I thought there might have been some tension there. Perhaps Ollins was a Wizard of the Coast employee. He was also writing 5e material, which had upset some contract lawyer somewhere. I don't see why it would, and my concerns were only sparked by the timing and then the vanishing of the charity supplement. However, Minskabu are back, and if there are any tensions, they are, they are also back behind the scenes. So, finally... And almost at the very end of this podcast, do we get to the whiffs of Spelljammer. On Friday, Wizards released the new Unearthed Arcana. Does the timing overlap a little with Minsk and Boo? Yes, it does, but I think it's a stretch to link the two. The new UA is called Travellers of the Multiverse and introduces rules for six races. There's the Astral Elf, an elf denizen of the Astral Plane, who is likely thousands of years old. There's the Auto Gnome, a mechanical gnome gifted with free will. There's the Gif, a hippo-headed being of impressive size. A Hazel Z, a highly adaptive simian who has wing-like membranes used to glide. A Plasmoid, which is this amoeba-like being. And a Tree Kirin, which is a six-limbed telepathic insectoid. Now, these aren't new races, but old ones being revisited. And some like the Autonome, Hasmodi and Plasmoid, are from Spelljammer. It's a whiff, that's all I promised, but I think it's a strong whiff. Wizards know precisely how the community react. It might be a distraction while they figure out whether to call the 50th anniversary editions of D&D due out in 2024 as a 6th edition, a 5.5 edition or 5e with new covers, but it's probably more than that. The creative team are probably seriously thinking about these races which means their heads have been in the Spelljammer space. What do you think? Is Spelljammer one of the old, mid-new-again D&D settings that Wizards are working on? And with that, we moved on to the final section of this podcast, and that's Bundles and Deals. On Itch, you can find the TTRPG bundle for Afghan support. 20 bucks will get you nearly 300 bucks worth of downloads, many from indie publishers, and the money supports Afghans who did good before the Taliban swept the West away, took back control, and took to hunting those brave heroes. In the bundle of holding, there's an excellent chance to pick up the Cthulhu hack and the still-new The D-Sanction in the bonus collection. Both are highly rated games. Also, in the bundle of holding, and in various formats, is the Nightshade Best Horror Bundle. Not games, 
but stories you can enjoy on your own as the dark draws closer. If you are looking for games, then there are a few days left on DriveThru's small press spotlight sale. There are tens of thousands of titles in it, including some from Magpie Games. And that's the company behind the largest ever Kickstarter for a tabletop RPG. And yeah, for the third time in this podcast, we're back at the question of whether a publisher is small, indie or boutique. So let's move on, and I'll do so with a confession. I confess I gave in and bought a Warhammer 40k themed ugly Christmas jumper from Merchoid. I will soon have a warg orc sweater, and I plan to wear it all year round. On that note, let's wrap there. Keep safe, join the orc boys, and I'll see you next week.